Uh, well, good day, everyone. I'm Liam, the other pastor here, and uh, what a great uh, time to be able to get into God's Word. Now, some of you here, or I should say some of us, no, I shouldn't say some of us, will remember that 60 years ago, Billy Graham uh, travelled across New Zealand and Australia sharing the love of Christ in city after city. Uh, that's a real photo, by the way. Isn't that incredible of uh, one of uh, Billy Graham's 1959 crusades? Uh, in 1959, when Billy Graham to us, came to Australia, more than three million people attended one of his crusades. That, at the time, was almost a third of Australia's population. Uh, more than 130,000 people, almost 2% of Australia's population at the time, made a commitment to Christ. Uh, Peter Jensen, a prominent Sydney Anglican, was one of those converted at the 59 Crusade, and he reflects um, that half of the students in training at Moore College, at the Bible College, Anglican College in Sydney, to become ministers during the 60s were converted at the 59 Crusade. Half of them. Uh, nearly all the youth group he led were converted in the 68 Crusade, and the church he pastored doubled in size in 1979, almost entirely as a result of that year's Crusade. What was going on in Australia at the time? Uh, Now, clearly God was moving, uh, and the whole thing was saturated in prayer. Uh, There were 40,000 people formally uh, praying uh, for that crusade across Australia. Uh, But there are some very unique things about that era, I believe, that contributed to this really uh, amazing uh, resurgence of faith uh, through the Billy Graham Crusades. Uh, It had come off about... a significant decline in church attendance in the 50s, uh, late 40s and 50s. There was a big dip uh, in sort of weekly attendance in church. Uh, lots of the young people, the sort of 18 to 40-year-olds, uh, had left the church over the 50s. Um, most of Australia at the time still believed in God. Most of those people who'd left church uh, and left the faith still believed in God. Uh, they'd grown up in a Sunday school and church. Uh, Christianity and the church were still considered good at that time uh, and faith was spoken about um, quite, quite freely in Australia. And, and many, many people who both came to the Crusades and were converted, genuinely converted at these Crusades, uh, came in already believing in God. Uh, and it was these, uh, the, the sermons, these powerful messages from Billy Graham that awakened them. Uh, many were born again at that time. But over the last 60 years, times have, uh, have changed uh, on, on a broad scale in Australia, there's, there's not a belief in God, certainly not in the Christian God anymore. Uh, there's confusion about religion, uh, about uh, the place of Christianity amongst religions and about religion in general. There's a lot of false beliefs about, Christ, about religion and wars, uh, one I often uh, hear, and it's actually still one of the top uh, beliefs that stop people exploring Jesus, is that, is that religion, especially Christianity, is it, all, all it does is cause wars. And you look at the stats, and, and, and the vast majority of the wars have nothing to do with religion. Uh, but but there's, a lot of, there's a lot of false ideas about religion. Uh, on top of that, uh, the church in Australia has a terrible track record. Uh, and not a false track record, a terrible track record. Uh, what, we, what we see predominantly whenever the church hits the news, it's abuse or it's um, fraudulent behaviour. One of the reasons we've been hesitant to talk about money Um, There is a very negative view of the church in Australia now. Uh, And many in Australia today have had no exposure to a Christian community. Most of the people I speak to who don't currently go to church have never been to church, 
have never had exposure to a Christian, Christian community, which is completely unlike uh, the 50s and 60s. Uh, many have never even had exposure or insight into a Christian friend. They might know a Christian, but they don't have any insight into what it looks like to be a Christian, what it looks like to be in a Christian household. Faith, especially Christianity in our country today, is an off-topic. Uh, unofficially, we're a closed country. Legally, you're allowed to talk about Jesus, but you just try it in public and you'll find pretty quickly, unofficially, you're not allowed to talk about Jesus. So what do we do about it? What do we do about it? Times have changed. How are we going to evangelise? That's what we're going to be looking at today uh, as we think about evangelism. And, and we'll be asking three questions. Uh, why do it? Sounds pretty hard. I painted a pretty bleak but accurate picture. Why do it? Uh, what will it look like? And, and how can we do that? And, and when we get to how can we do that, uh, we'll have some really practical steps um, to work through that. Um, now, first of all, the word... Uh, as we think about why do it, the, the word evangelism uh, is, is, a, is a transliteration of a Greek word. Uh, a lot of the words we, we are familiar with in the Bible um, have taken the original language the New Testament was written in, uh, common Greek, and just transliterated it. So that's the, that's the Greek word for evangelism. Is Angela here? Can she read it for us? Um, that vaguely says you and so that's I'm a bit rusty on my Greek. Uh, so there's different entity, but but that basically is the word for evangelism. Um, so the euangelion is the good news, uh, and evangelism means literally in the Greek to proclaim the good news. It's a it's a putting together of two concepts. One is to proclaim, to announce, uh, to preach, uh, and the other half of it is the good news. So evangelism literally means to proclaim the good news. Uh, and when we're talking about good news, we, we know very clearly what the Bible means by, by that. The New Testament tells us uh, it's the good news is the gospel. That's what gospel means, literally, good news. Explicitly, the good news of Jesus' life, death, resurrection and all that it has achieved. Uh, and this good news, that's the core of the Bible's message. We've seen that as we've been stepping through Revelation, haven't we? Uh, from the songs that the elders and the angels are singing, uh, they're singing about what Jesus has done on the cross. They're praising God. That's at the centre of heaven. That's the new song that they sing is about the gospel. Uh, we see it in Revelation to how Jesus is pictured as a lamb standing as though he was slain. The image we have of Jesus in Revelation is a slain lamb, a reminder every time you hear that word of the gospel, the good news, what he has done. And Revelation is the climax of the entire story of the Bible. It's the story of God gathering a people to himself, a story of how God is going to deal with sin and brokenness forever, a story about how a holy, righteous God could possibly forgive and dwell with imperfect, unrighteous, sinful people. That's the story of the Bible. The story of how God is bringing blessing to all the nations around the globe through Jesus. That, that's the message of the Bible. And it all reaches its climax and fulfilment in Jesus. With his atoning death on the cross, as Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't just an example of how to be nice to your friends. He, he was taking the punishment deserved by us, deserved by humans for our rebellion against God. He absorbed that punishment. He took our sin and shame and punishment on himself. That's what he did. 
He defeated sin and death forever. And he proved it by rising from the dead in victory and hope. He brought to his people a new life, a new heart, blessing and holiness. This is the gospel. It's all wrapped up. This is the message of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I've sometimes wondered, well, why didn't God just instantly let everyone know about that? He could. He's God. He can do what he wants. But he didn't make this good news instantly known to all. Instead, he chose to include his people in the task of uh, delivering it, of announcing this good news. Uh, Paul, in the letter to the Roman church, puts it this way in chapter 10. Paul uh, writes, as scripture says, anyone who believes in him, that is Jesus, will be never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all to, who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in, of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet who bring, of those who bring the good news. Now, now, Paul here has just some pretty straight logic. You can't believe in something you've never heard of. It's physically impossible. And you can't hear about something without someone speaking it. That's, that's the way our bodies work. We are not telepathic. Uh, no one can speak the message if they don't spend time with the people they're speaking to. I can't speak to you if I've not met you, if I'm not with you, if I'm not sent to you. But it's not just logic uh, that drives evangelism in the Bible. It's not just, a, oh, well, if we don't do it, then who will? It, it's also God's design and calling for his people. Uh, Peter explains, the Apostle Peter in his letter, 1 Peter 2, uh, he's talking to the church here, but he uses terms and phrases and titles that were used for God's people in the Old Testament. To the church, he says, but you, you Christians are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. All these terms from the Old Testament that God gave to Israel, his people, those who loved and followed him with the coming of Jesus, these words and titles are still given to his people. But now with the nations gathered in, his people as defined by those who love and follow Jesus. And this people have a task to do. They're made into a royal priesthood. Now we're familiar with the idea of priests. Lots of different religions and faiths have priests. And the priests, well, they're the extremists, aren't they? They're, they're, the, uh, they're the salespeople uh, for the religion. They're the ones who are the most excited, the most passionate. They're the ones who are sharing about their faith. And God says, I have made you, all of my people, into a royal priesthood. That's why we don't have priests here at Lake Mac Church. That's why the Christian church shouldn't have priests, because we're all, we're all priests. We're a royal priesthood. We've all been given this job explicitly to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us. We've all been given this task of delivering this message about how wonderful our, our God is. So, so why evangelise? Well, well, we must, mustn't we? It's part of what it means to be a Christian. There's not an option for signing up as a Christian and not checking the evangelism box. You can't pick and choose. 
Proclaiming the excellencies of him who called you is part of what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, and, and more than that, uh, if we care even a tiny bit about the lost, then we will. Uh, there's a guy, an atheist called Penn Jillette. You might have heard of him. He's a magician. Uh, but he, he's very, uh, a very vocal atheist, but he has some incredible insights into Christianity. Here's something, uh, what he said. He said, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytise. Proselytise is another word for evangelise. Who don't try and convert me to their faith. I don't respect people who don't proselytise. I don't respect that at all, Gillette said at the time. If you believe there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever and you don't think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? Isn't that profound? From an atheist who, who respects people who try and convince him uh, to follow Jesus. Because if you really believe in a heaven and a hell, how much do you have to hate someone to say, oh, well, it, it'll make it a little bit awkward if I talk to them about that. If we love people at all, we must evangelise. We must do it. But what will it look like? What will sharing the gospel look like? Given that our culture has changed, uh, we have different challenges and different opportunities than, than existed in the Billy Graham era, what will evangelising look like for us? Well, there's a principle that Jesus gives us. He gives his followers that affects all of our lives, not in the least how we evangelise. The principle is this from Matthew 7 and elsewhere. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. Great principle, especially when it comes to evangelism. Uh, now I want you to imagine for a moment. Uh, well, well, I don't have to imagine. I, I grew up with two brothers. I want you to imagine uh, that your mum has cooked a cake for afternoon tea. Uh, you're the only one in the room. The brothers are outside and you're told, go and tell your brothers that afternoon tea is ready, that there's a cake. So off I go and I go down to tell them and I say, oh, you know, mum's made some food, there's afternoon tea ready. And then I walk out quietly. Now, now, is that a fair announcement of this wonderful afternoon tea that's been prepared? So I've ticked the box. Did I deliver the message? Yes. Am I hoping that they come? No. You know. Uh, so I, I, I didn't go out of my way. Or I could go and tell them about how amazing this afternoon tea is. What's been prepared? Come see. Look what mum's cooked for us. Uh, they, you can tick the box. Yeah, you told them. Or you can really tell them, can't you? Because that's what I'd want. I wouldn't want to say, no, I'm too busy playing. Not when I realised there was cake, not just fruit. Uh, that's what you'd want, isn't it? You'd want them to tell you. Now, now when we apply that to evangelism, uh, we, we think about how we share things with people. We can give them the bare facts. We can tell them about Jesus. We can give them the gospel. But we can do it in a way that says, oh, you know, well, afternoon tea's ready. Or we can tell them how wonderful it is. And we can give them the best possible chance of responding appropriately. Uh, not just deli delivering the gospel, but, but seeking to win them over. Not just telling them that this opportunity exists, but encouraging them and exhorting them to come and take it up. Now, the Apostle Paul exemplifies this attitude. Uh, here's how he writes in 2 Corinthians uh, 5. 
Uh, Sue read it for us earlier. Uh, Therefore, he writes, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Can you feel his excitement? All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favour I heard you, in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. See, for Paul, delivering this message is more than just delivering the facts, the details. He implores, he urges, he he proclaims the excellencies of him who called him. He's trying to convince them that this is worth giving up anything to come and take hold of. Now, now next year, uh, in Term 1, our mission events for church will kick off again. Uh, We do that every year at the start, often scattered throughout the year. Uh, Events where we put on... um, An event that we can bring our unchurched friends and family along to. Where we share the good news of Jesus. Where we offer, come come and come to church, come to Christianity Explored, come to life. Where we give people the opportunity to investigate Jesus. Now wouldn't it be wonderful if we as a church had all been investing in our friends over summer so much that they were keen to come along. Wouldn't it be wonderful if when we asked our friends... They they were ready, that we had friends to ask for a start. And when we asked them, they said, yeah, yeah, I'd love to come to one of those. But but how can we do that? How can we urge? How can we implore? How can we get people along? How can we so invest in those we know and love that they might have a compelling reason to seek Jesus? That's what it's all about. We want to give our those we know and love, a compelling reason to seek Jesus, not just the bare facts. Uh, Well, there's a few steps uh, between now and then. Uh, These have come from uh, basically Sam Chan, uh, was one of my lecturers at Bible College, lecturing on evangelism. He's written a book now. Uh, We've got a couple of copies up on the bookstall. And and what we've got now, what we're going to do again in Term 1 next year, is basically his evangelism course sort of mushed uh, into a few weeks. Uh, And he likes to say, and I think it's wise, he says, this isn't the only way to tell people about Jesus. It might not even be the best way to tell people about Jesus. It's just a way to tell people about Jesus. I find it really helpful. uh, And and I always find it helpful when you've got specific things to do. Um, So here's five things that we can do over this summer to give those we know and love the best possible chance of responding well to an invitation. Because that's what we want, isn't it? We want to give them the best possible chance of responding well. Uh, And this first step is to merge uh, universes. Now, as uh, uh, those of us who are Christian, we often default into having two worlds or two universes. We have our Christian world. We meet up at a church. We go to home group together. When we have a barbecue with Christians, there's other people from church there. 
and it's one separate world. And then we have this another world, another universe, uh, and it's all our friends who don't go to church. And when we go out with them, when we have barbecues with them, we have other friends who are in common. And it's almost a never the twain shall meet. Um, Our Christian friends and our non-Christian friends often don't know each other. There's not much crossover. Uh, And that's how we keep it. I don't think we do it on purpose. I don't think it's intentional. It's just what is easy. Uh, But the first step we can do to share Jesus with our friends is to merge those universes, to bring those two worlds together. Now, Jesus gave us a great example of this. Uh, Jesus was criticised regularly for eating with tax collectors and sinners. Uh, Here in Matthew 9, Mark 2, uh, we find him eating at the the house of a tax collector. Uh, They are the lowest of the low in Jewish society with other tax collectors and sinners, and he's critiqued for it. But it wasn't just at Levi's house that... uh, Oh, that's at... um, I think that's actually Mark's house. Uh, But he did it with Levi as well. Uh, He did it with uh, Zacchaeus, you might remember. Uh, Again and again, he and his disciples went and spent time with unbelievers, spent time with people uh, who needed it. Uh, And he justified it with that last sentence there in verse 17. Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Uh, So as Christians... We need to go uh, to the homes of our unchurched friends. I'm not talking about turning up unannounced. Uh, Oh, I'm here. Uh, But but when they invite us, say yes. All too often we say, no, oh, sorry, I've got other stuff on. Uh, And eventually they'll stop inviting us. We need to go to the footy with them. We need to go to the movies with them. We need to go out with them. That's what Jesus did. And that's one way we can start connecting with them. We need to start doing things together with them so it's normal that we do things together. Otherwise, February will come around and you'll pick up the phone and invite them to an event and they'll be thinking in their heads, but we don't do stuff together. We only bump into each other at work. This is weird. On the other hand, if you've gone to the footy with them, uh, you've gone for a meal with them, you've had a barbecue with them, it'll be just another thing that you do with them. So you're more likely for them to say yes. Um, But more than that, um, oh, sorry, as we're discussing this at home group this week, uh, there was a question that came up that I thought was helpful to bring up. uh, And that is that sometimes we're invited by our unchurched friends to something. uh, It can feel like we'd be crossing a moral line to go and do that with them. A few years ago, I had uh, some friends, uh, mostly ladies, who were invited by their non-Christian friends to head along and watch Fifty Shades of Grey at the movies. Uh, And and there was this dilemma. What do I do? I want to, I want to um, go out with my friends and invest in them, but I'm, I, I can't go and watch that uh, atrocious movie. Uh, other friends, uh, uh, my mates are going out, they've invited me, but all they ever do when they go to the pub is get plastered. Um, so you think, oh, well, do I, one, say, no, I'm not going out with you, or two, go out to the pub and get plastered. Um, and, and it's good to remember that there's almost always more than two options. We, we love to polarise. We say we do this or we do this and there's nothing in between, but often there's something in between. Uh, for the pub, we were talking about this at home group, there is an option to say, yeah, I'd love to come out. Uh, but when they start to get a little bit tipsy, uh, when it's gone too far, uh, you've said, yep, I'll have my two drinks or wherever you've drawn the line. Maybe you say, I'll go to the pub, I'll just drink Coke. And then go home. There's a third option. It's not stay home and say no or get plastered. You can go out and not get plastered. What? You know, there's, there's a third option. 
Or it might be that you have to organise the movie date. I can't go to that movie, I'm really sorry, I'm just, just not up for that. Hey, next week there's this other movie on, do you want to come to me with that one? Come, come with me to that one. There's almost always a third option that we can take. Um, so that's just a little caveat there. Um, so as we spend uh, more time uh, with our unchurched friends, it will become normal that that's what we do with them. Um, now, the other thing there that we can be doing is not just going out like a lone wolf, uh, not just going out on our own into our non-Christian, our unchurched universe, uh, where you're the one Christian in the room, uh, but we can start to merge those universes and get our Christian, our church friends, with our unchurched friends. Now, if you're the only Christian your friends know, by definition, you are weird. Weird means being the odd one out. I'm not saying you personally are weird because you've got quirks. We all do, but that's all right. But if you're the only Christian your friends know, they know a hundred people well, and you're the one Christian, that is odd, that is different, that is weird. But if you can bring them along for a barbecue, they'll come round. When I invite them for smoked brisket, they usually say yes. Uh, If I invite some of my friends from church as well, now they know two Christians or three Christians or ten Christians. And being a Christian will start to seem less weird. They'll seem more plausible, more reasonable to follow Jesus. Because, oh, I don't know just one person who loves Jesus. Now I know 10 or even 20. And it seems a little bit more reasonable. Uh, On top of that, uh, different people have different conversations. I've noticed this. Often uh, I'll have brought uh, one of my unchurched friends to something. And within five minutes, someone else from church will be having a wonderful conversation about the gospel with them that I haven't managed to do in three years. Uh, And for a whole variety of reasons. Uh, But it gives that opportunity. Different people with different experiences will have different conversations. Um, So that's the first thing we can do is merge our universes. Go to their things. Invite them to our things. Uh, And if you're hosting something, if you're organising something, get a few of your unchurched friends and a few of your church friends. A family from work and a family from church. Make that our normal habit. Uh, The next thing we can be doing, and it might seem obvious, is listen. Uh, Don't treat them like a project. Uh, It can be really easy to do and we all know what it feels like. Uh, Sorry if you're an Amway salesman, uh, but that can be how it feels like. Uh, If a long-lost relative turns up, I can remember this happening... Uh, turns up and you think, wow, they just want to catch up with us. They've organised a meal, but no, it's a sales pitch. Uh, that's how being a, uh, Christians can come off to our unchurched friends if we're not careful. And it will definitely be the way we come off if we're not genuine. So we need to treat them not like a project, but like people. Remember that principle, love others as you'd be loved, treat others as you'd like to be treated. Genuinely care about them. Uh, When we remember that we're all made in God's image, that we're precious to everyone and God desperately wants to see everyone saved, it's easier to remember, yeah, I care about these people, this person, this individual, because my heavenly father deeply cares about them. Listening fosters real relationships. Uh, They reckon the best conversationalists actually only talk about 10% of the time. Uh, That's the people you respond to uh, best. Uh, listening fosters those real relationships. But there can still be this real awkwardness when we shift from a normal conversation like, oh, wasn't it great to see the All Blacks go down last night in the rugby? 
uh, to, oh, by the way, what do you think about heaven and hell? And, and it's like going from first to fifth. Uh, the conversation stalls and stops. Uh, and it's that awkward shift and often we're not sure how to do it. Um, how can we make it more appropriate and natural to talk with people about our private things, about our deep beliefs? That's why we call this unawkwarding Jesus. How do, you, how do you change not from first to fifth? Um, well, the first thing we can do is to, is to recognise that there are, there are different topics that we allow different people into. Um, it's good to think about it with concentric circles. The first circle that you're allowed to talk about in public is the circle of interests. Uh, and now this is the circle you can talk about with anyone, anywhere. Uh, you're allowed to talk about the rugby with anyone. Uh, maybe not in New Zealander this week. Um, but but, but it's, a, it's an appropriate topic. Uh, you meet an acquaintance, you're at a coffee shop, you say, how nice has the weather been lately? No one says, oh, how dare you ask me that deep and personal question. You're allowed, you know, the, the weather, the sport, interests, we're, we're allowed to talk about that outside. The next level in is values. And that's often when we hit that jar, that uh, first to fifth, is when we've inappropriately jumped a circle. When they think, oh, we're, we're in an interests relationship, we talk about the sport and weather, and you ask them about their family and their relationships, and they go, whoa, hang on a minute, uh, that's not what we talk about. We're just friends who talk about interests. We, we haven't progressed uh, to that level of relationship yet. And we need to work at getting there, and, and listening is one way we do that. Asking the questions, if they answer, they've given you permission. Tell me about your family. They say, I've got a wife and two kids, and you very much get the impression, that's it. Okay, you've pushed me back out into the interest circle. If they say, oh, yeah, I'm married to Lucy, we've got four little girls. You know, okay, yeah, I've got permission to be here. How old are they? Okay, and you've got permission to be uh, in that value circle. Uh, the next circle as you move into relation, uh, in conversations is worldview. And this is, the, this is the deep conversations that you, you don't have in public, you don't have in coffee shops. These are the conversations you have with people you, you know and trust because you're talking about what matters to you, about what makes you tick, about why you do what you do. And the gospel is in worldview. That's where the gospel is, that's where Jesus is because it's about the way we see the world and the way we see, the, see, see ourselves. And so often we've gone straight from interests Ugh, to worldview, straight from how about the sport uh, to uh, what do you think about Jesus? And it's this big shift. So we have to invest and take time in the conversations, the relationships and genuinely listen, be genuinely uh, interested. So that's the first. Second one, uh, listen. Uh, the, the next one is, uh, after we've done that, is, is testify. Uh, the power of testimony is just incredible. Testimony just means your own experience. If you're called to court to be a witness or a testifier, uh, that's what you're giving. You're giving your experience, what you saw. <clears throat> now, testimony, especially when it comes to faith, it can't really be argued with because it's what you have experienced. They can't say, you didn't experience that. That's not how you felt. You aren't comforted by that. Uh, because it's you, it's your experience. It gets real. The other thing that testimony does is it shows what your life is really like. Uh, remember, there's been a big change in the last 60 years where most people in Australia have no idea what it's like to be a Christian. They've never been to church, let alone experienced a Christian community, so they don't know what happens, what goes on, what you feel, how you live. And we can give them insight to that 
by our testimonies. And when I say testimony, I don't mean uh, pull out your 20-minute script. You know, I grew up in a Christian home, but I didn't really know Jesus until... No, no, we're not talking about that long testimony. Uh, Talking about, we call them snapshot testimonies. You might call it a screenshot in this day and age. But it's just uh, one snapshot of one little aspect of your life where Jesus has made a difference. And there are loads of examples. Uh, It could be about how you handle stress. That's a conversation that comes up regularly. I have it regularly with my unchurched friends. They'll talk about being busy or how stressed they are. I might have an opportunity to share about how, hey, I've been through some times where I've been severely stressed. And I have no idea how I would have coped with that mentally if I didn't have faith in a God who controls everything. And then I move on. Snapshot. One little thing, and then we move on. But if we have five or ten or fifty of those snapshots over our months or years of conversations as we're talking, it gives an insight into what the Christian life looks like. A good friend of mine um, from college, I can remember talking to her about this, uh, and, and it was not long after they'd had their first baby. They were in a mum's group. They were walking along down the street with an unchurched lady and herself. Uh, her friend was saying, oh, you know, it's just been terrible. I think we've lived off two-minute noodles for the last two weeks. Haven't washed the house. I don't think I've had a shower. You know, and, and our friend was able to say, oh, that's terrible. Not wanting to brag, uh, but my church has dropped off a meal for us every second day for the last two weeks. Maybe I could come and help you out with one. Um, so there was a bit of love in there. It wasn't just bragging. But what an insight to that, that lady to say, wow, you're part of a community who act like family? Wow. And, and the conversation moves on. Uh, but it's an insight into what it looks like to be a Christian. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be my life is wonderful. It might be I'm going through a really hard time, but it's better with Jesus than without him. And that's the reality I think we forget sometimes is that every situation, no matter how good or bad, is far better with Jesus than without him. Your best day, your most wonderful experience will be better, will be heightened, uh, will have so much more significance with a faith in Jesus. And your worst day, no matter how devastating, no matter how depressed or dark, we'll be far better with Jesus than without him. And that is the truth and we know it. And as you start to think about your lows and your highs and think about what that might have been like without Jesus or what that was like without Jesus compared to what it's like now, we can find ways to share that. It doesn't have to be, oh, oh, look at me, I've got a lovely life. It might be, life's a bit sucky at the moment, but I tell you what, I'm so glad I've got a God to trust in. I'm so glad I've got a, a home group where we talk about this sort of stuff. And they go, home group? Yeah, you know, a bunch of blokes where we read the Bible and pray and share about what's going on in life. Wow, what a, what a testimony. Uh, we can do that. We can share uh, our life and we need to find ways to share that. Uh, the next step, or as we're doing that, is, is to share Jesus. Now, uh, this is often the hard one. Often we, 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 we struggle and we think, oh, well, I don't have the words. I'm not an expert. I'm not gifted in that area. Uh, and that is one reason we do events at church. We want to provide context. We want to provide spaces and times uh, where you can bring your unchurched family and friends uh, and they can hear about Jesus from Rob or from I or whoever's speaking, where they can be invited to church or live uh, by somebody else. 
Uh, and, but that is only one small part of it. We can't do that every week. We can't do that uh, even every month. Um, so we need to work out ways to share Jesus ourselves personally. Now, even if you're not feeling like you're particularly skilled or gifted in that, one, I'd like to encourage you to come and talk to me. If you're, if you're genuinely interested in skilling up, if you think, yeah, I don't know how to do that and I'd like to learn how to do that, come and see me and tell me the sort of things you'd like to know, your sort of struggles. And we'd love to put together some training. We'd love to help you learn to do that better. Uh, but we have resources we can, we can help you with. Christianity Explored is a great one. Uh, there's a DVD. You can pop in the DVD player. Rico Tice will explain everything. You've got a booklet and you just ask the questions and work through. Uh, it's really quite simple. Uh, open the Gospel of Mark. Read a, read a chunk. Talk about it. Uh, you can ask someone else from church to do that with you. We can guide you to the right people to ask for that. Uh, but it, we have to be heading this direction. Jesus is the one we're seeking to introduce them to. He's the saviour. He's, he's the centre of God's plans for blessing this world, for providing forgiveness. And, and that's who we need to introduce our friends to. Uh, the fifth part of this, and, and I'm, I'm trying not to say steps because it's not linear. Often we'll be doing all these at the same time. And this is the big one. And that is to pray. That is to pray. Now we have... Uh, these wonderful cards, they're on the connecting table. I stole them from someone else and we slapped their logo, with permission, popped their logo on them. Um, they're our 316441 cards. Uh, and that's significant. That's, uh, it's a commitment to pray John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but come to eternal life. To pray that for four people for one year. Uh, it's got your categories, you write their names in, you put it somewhere, you'll see it every day. It might be your dashboard, uh, it might be back of the toilet, might be on top of the coffee machine for me. Uh, somewhere you'll see it and you'll be reminded, that's right, I want to pray. Now why pray? Because there's all these practical things we can be doing. Uh, instead of praying, I could be texting them, I could be investing in them, I could be gospeling them. Why would you pray? Uh, well, because ultimately... We trust in a God who is sovereign. Uh, our God made this world, uh, sustained this earth uh, and works all things according to his purposes. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul talks about this <coughs> interaction between what we do and what God does. Uh, and it's actually in the context of um, Christians getting a bit defensive about which group, which club they belong to. And some are saying, well, I follow Apollos, who is this great teacher. And others are saying, well, I follow Paul. And, and, and Paul says, no, 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 no. Uh, that's not how this worked. He says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose. They'll each be rewarded according to their own labour, for we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Now, I love that we have this passage with these ideas put side to side. Paul says it is significant and it is important uh, that I planted, that's that I delivered the gospel, that Apollos watered, that Apollos uh, uh, encouraged the Corinthians and exhorted them and, and, and maybe even brought them to faith by his teaching. Uh, but neither of them actually made faith grow in each individual. You, Paul writes, you are God's field. And God is the one who gives the growth. Yet we also know that 
They can't believe in one they haven't heard of and they can't hear of one unless someone speaks. And we're God's co-workers and he uses us to do that. And that's where I want to, want to end this, with this uh, lovely balance. God is the one who makes it grow. We are nothing. He doesn't need us. He could use someone else. But he has given us the opportunity to work with him, to be his co-workers. Can we imagine being invited to co-run Australia? Maybe you'd say, no, thank you. Uh, but to some great, significant task. That's what's happening here. We are God's co-workers being invited to participate with God in his mission and his growth. Yet he gives the growth, so let's pray. Please do that with me now. Father God, we thank you for the gospel and we thank you that the gospel is truly good news. It's not just a message, but the announcement of facts that you have come to this world to seek and save the lost that you lived a perfect life, that you died an atoning death and and rose in victory uh, to guarantee and and seal our faith. And, And we thank you so much that this good news is on offer to all. Thank you that you are waiting patiently and not returning in judgment so that we might have more time to, to plant seeds, to water seeds, to seek to grow faith. And we pray now that you would do mighty work in those we know and love. We pray that you would open eyes and hearts, that you would soften our friends and family to the gospel. And we pray that you would give us boldness and discipline uh, and love to care for and invest in and spend time with those we know and love, to, to get to know them deeply and to share what it means for us to follow Jesus as the opportunity arises. Father God, we thank you that we are invited to be your co-workers in this And we pray that you would help us in Jesus' name. Amen. And we're going to pray that now. Mm. Thanks, Clive. Um, So the question was, uh, Clive's found some of the hardest people to witness to our relatives because they've seen us with our halo dropped. Um, So without the Sunday miracle, uh, they know what we're really like. Um, I'd like to... Yeah, I I do have a couple of tips. I certainly don't have the answers. It's a great challenge and often we feel most deeply and passionately for them too, of course. Um, One one is a reminder that uh, the Christian faith isn't about uh, being perfect. In fact, it's exactly the opposite. And, and I, we've talked, you know, you, you've shared this with me personally, Clive, that this isn't, uh, we're not trying to say to people, you've got to be good enough for God. In fact, we're saying uh, Jesus loves us and that's the beauty of it. Uh, I'm not great at this. I can remember a few times specifically when I've done it well, a few, uh, even with my children. I, I try and uh, visibly and publicly apologise to them when I've, when I've stuffed up, uh, when I've got angry about something I shouldn't have or unduly angry uh, or overreacted to something and I've, I've gone and apologised and talked about how I, I don't get things right and asked their forgiveness and, and, and prayed. So, so it, it could actually give us an opportunity to do that in a, in a really powerful way. Um, but even with that, our relatives are really... Uh, so one, I encourage you to be humble. If you've recognised that you, and you can remember specific instances... Uh, where you, you have 
drop the halo. Um, talk about it. They, they, they noticed, for sure. If you did, they did. Uh, it's, it's a chance for us to say, hey, you probably noticed that happen. Um, and, and I'm sorry that I hurt you and, and, and you can apologise to them and talk about might even be an opportunity to, to say that's actually one of the reasons I love Christianity is it doesn't, we don't have to earn our way to heaven. We're trusting Jesus to forgive us. So please don't judge Jesus on, on my poor form. That's the other one. And the other one is just, just pray like crazy. Uh, and, in, and, and I think um, this is one where we can make our friends their friends. Uh, uh, because of it, family and long-term friends are sometimes the hardest to bring faith into the conversation. Maybe you've had 10, 20, 30 years of not talking about Jesus with them, or there's history that means it's hard. Uh, having them over for a meal uh, when you've got other Christians around, well, they don't have that history. They're not related to them, and maybe that's just what they need. I, I pray probably my biggest prayer for my uh, immediate family uh, who, who don't love Jesus is that an, a Christian would move in next to them and, and love them or that uh, would befriend them at uni uh, and, and witness to them. That's, that's, that's a huge prayer. And, and, and that's actually another do unto others as you'd like uh, them to do unto you. I think, what would I like for my brothers? Well, I would love some Christian to love them and invest in them and witness to them. And this person who's just moved in next to me, uh, this person who I met down the street, they're someone's brother. They might be related to a Christian. And someone else is praying and hoping that some Christian would meet them and love them and witness to them. And maybe I'm the answer to that prayer. So I want to love their relatives by witness to them. The same way I'd like someone to do it to my brother. So big ones, um, be, honest, be honest about your failings. They recognised it. Say it out loud. It could be a gospel opportunity. Uh, pr- keep praying. Uh, and, and that could be the perfect opportunity to... Next time they're coming round, say, hey, we're having a barbecue. We'd love you there. We're going to have some other people around as well. Uh, it might, might be a chance. Hope that helps. Thanks, Clive. Yeah, thanks, Richard. So that encouragement not to be overly discouraged if uh, our efforts don't bear fruit. Uh, and that's, that's one of the reasons I ended with that passage from Paul about Paul and Apollos. Uh, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the growth. Uh, it, it's, it's, it ultimately is up to God uh, what happens in our hearts. Uh, if you're self-aware, you'll realise that you're not a Christian because you're a good person. You're not a Christian because... Uh, you're particularly smart or particularly holy. Uh, if you think that, you've probably got issues. So come, come talk to me. It, it may be, maybe that's a sign that you haven't really got the gospel. Uh, you'll realise if you look deep enough inside that, wow, I, I follow Jesus. If you, if you do follow him, uh, you, you'll realise through no merit of my own, but only because God opened my eyes and God opened my heart and gave me Christian friends or Christian family to invest in me. So... Wow, it was really all him. Um, so we can trust God to do that. Uh, and when he doesn't do that, not, not beat ourselves up. Although it is good to ask, could I have done more? Uh, and, and, and not to beat ourselves up for the past, but let that drive, let that drive us. Because uh, if, um, if our friend doesn't become a Christian, I've never, I've never shared the gospel with him. Is it my fault? Yes, 
Yeah, yes, it is, in a way. I, I've, I've been told him, how's he going to believe? So, yeah, I, I'm accountable for what I'm accountable for, what I put in, uh, for whether I'm praying, whether I'm witnessing, whether I'm loving and listening and investing. I can control those things. Uh, but, but what God does with that, I've got to, I've got to trust to God, and that is, that is a great comfort, isn't it? Yeah. Um, we'll pull it up there now.